0: It's, it's Look wonderful. Look at how loud your screaming was?
1: Oh, yeah, that was my scream, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> yep, that was very Juniper of you. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch, I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures.
1: We have names.
0: Oh, if it's naughty, to rules, your will Say
1: your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I wanna be there. <laughs> I didn't kid you, did I? Well now you know.
0: Um, so before I before I dive into this totally lighthearted random Twitter thing that you reminded me of with Doggo and Beano and Toto, uh this is good witches bad bitches.
1: This is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. I'm Deanna, that's Hannah. Yep. Our names rhyme. Oh, they do. Except for mine is three syllables and yours is two.
0: Yep, fair enough, fair enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is a podcast about women. This
1: is a podcast about women.
0: Yeah. And uh, this particular thing was started by a woman who some of you may know because she's an author. And her name is Delilah Dawson. Mm. She is a sci-fi fantasy writer, but... Over the last few months, she has started doing something that she calls um, hashtag Borkbook. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's all these poems that she's written from the perspective of her dog. Oh, my God. It's pretty fucking adorable. So I have to read you a couple of her Bork Book poems because that's just where we're at today, I think. This one is called Back, a poem by my dog. <laughs> I knew it was you when they brought my leash and I started dancing. The moment I saw you through the door, it's been a thousand years since I licked you. A million months since you called me a good boy and rubbed my nog. Strangled bark of, oh gosh, you're back.
1: <laughs> Strangled <laughs> bark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh symmetry a poem by my dog i must admit you hurt my feelings when you held my face and fla- flapped my floppy lips and told me my jowls are uneven i mean they are good jowls and they work fine for a dog's needs of chew- chewing and slurping indignant boof of nobody's perfect except you <laughs> <laughs> except you <laughs> I know. doggos I know. Okay, one more. Lean, a poem by my dog. When the day gets dark and the skyborks come, <laughs> the skyborks? I hunch over real small and tiptoe to your side, put my jowls on your leg, and lean in with a gentle sigh and slight tremor, knowing nothing can hurt me if you're there. Startled Boof of Oh Gosh, that was a big one.
1: What are skyborgs? Thunder? Oh Thunder. no, it's fireworks too. Mm hmm.
0: <laughs> Startled Boof of Oh Gosh, that was a big one. <laughs>
1: My little contribution. I always love when um, Juniper's mom does captions juniper the fox yes yes because she's oh, really good at it the one that i sent you where juniper was stuck in the fridge
0: oh my god juniper <laughs> in the fridge and then got mad that when she backed out she <laughs> yeah. fell and was like how dare you let this happen to me <laughs> i love the personality personalities of all those animals because they are so foxes are different weird. Even like just the foxes that she has. The yeah. the Juniper I think the account is Juniper and Fig. No, it's and, Juniper Fox. Oh, right, right, right. It's with two X's. Juniper Fox with two X's. And then but yeah, she has three foxes now. Juniper Fig and Elmwood. Juniper Fig and Elmwood. And Juniper is the loudest fox. She she is so screamy and so just like put upon by the world. And little Fig has the teeniest, tiniest little Little scratchy sound that he makes But he doesn't yell He doesn't get all he loud He has been a little bit about Elmwood though That's true, there's a new baby fox named Elmwood And he's getting on figs nerves But anyway, these animals are just like The light of my life I, Yeah, I'm really,
1: I feel so blessed That you introduced me
0: <laughs> You're welcome The thing is,
1: I know when I send you a post that Juniper, uh, With Juniper in it That you've probably already seen it <laughs> Yeah
0: that's true. Although the one you sent the other day I had not seen the the little squirrel. You did doing a That flute? was fucking adorable.
1: Cuz she flute. she she fosters um wild animals a lot. Yeah. And these foxes are rescues. She didn't just go looking for them. Right. Well, Elmwood was from a breeder, but that's a different story. But Juniper and Fig were rescued from fur farms.
0: Yeah. She's she's very good about it that. Little Fig has no foot. You no, Em needs snack. Are you Hush, lady, I'm not stuck. I'm fox, I'm sneaky.
1: Think no. Nothing good in here anyway. (laughs) Just slowly back out. Way too high. Heck, heck. You push me? (laughs) A boost. Feelings am hurt. need extra snacko to make up for this. You kidding me? No. (laughs) Just
0: wild animals. They are still wild animals, folks. Don't go out and just buy one just because they're cute. They will pee all over your house forever.
1: Also, I love her, Juniper, but I think I would go fucking insane if that noise was in my house all day. Oh God, yes! I'd be like, "Shut up,
0: God!" Her being on Instagram is perfect because she is the child you can give back. It's
1: like you're the aunt. To yeah, us.
0: that's that's my uh, little intro for us there. <laughs> Do you want to hear about a lady? Always. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon.
1: Patreon. <laughs> oh no! Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more
0: patrons we get, hopefully, the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron. So that we can start creating that content for you
1: also when you become a patron you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air how
0: exciting is that very exciting yeah yeah you can find us at patreon.com slash podcast i'm gonna talk to you today about margaret cavendish does this name ring a bell? It
1: does, but I don't know why. I
0: think she was kind of a contemporary of, um, oh, fuck, who was the writer you did? Ben? Somebody Ben? Afroben. Afro ben. Yes. She was around that same time. Ah. Ooh. Yes. Um, but she's such a fascinating figure, and I've been doing a lot of research into sci-fi recently because of what I I wonder why well because of what I'm writing and I mean yes the pilot but also the the book that you're gonna read beta some of. mm-hmm <laughs> Um, but I was, I was doing some research into, like, Star Trek and, and the first Star Trek conventions. And it sort of led me down this rabbit hole of how women have influenced science fiction. Ooh! And, and then I found myself at Margaret Cavendish, whose name I knew and whose history I knew, but I would totally forgotten about her. So she's very exciting for me, and you'll see why. Um, some of my sources are Paris Review... Um, mm -hmm. La-dee-da. PoetFoundation.org and Wikipedia. Sweet. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for a long time, we only really had the word of male historians to tell us who Margaret Cavendish was and what she was about. Um, And thanks to a man named Samuel Pepys, who is known to have said, yeah, I think he was a writer or a philosopher. Um, But he's known to have said about her, her dress is so antic and her deportment so ordinary that I do not like her at all. And he was sort of the person who was talking about her enough that historians glommed onto that and went, oh, this is who Margaret Cavendish is. Oh, she's boring. Yeah. She's a fucking weirdo. Like, her dress is so antic, meaning she wore weird shit. Um, but she, she dresses was like
1: funny and
0: she is boring and she's of like middling intelligence is Yikes. kind of like what he meant. Yikes. Oddly enough, we have Virginia Woolf who discovered Cavendish's works for the first time herself later on to thank for our more modern understanding of Cavendish and what she did. Oh, it was Virginia Woolf who, who like brought Afro Ben.
1: There you go. To the forefront too. Thank God for Virginia. Woolf, I mean, man. honestly, Let's
0: talk about her. At some point I was thinking actually the other day that we should do a series of like really well known figures. At some point, like really well, known, like people that everyone would know. Yeah. And Virginia Woolf is one. And, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, who we've talked about a lot, I think yeah. would be another one.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Um, Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart. we talked exactly. about a lot of
1: aviatrixes, though. So That's just, true. In the la- in the year we've been doing this podcast, year and a half.
0: We like our aviatrixes. Weird. Um, so basically, Margaret Cavendish was a complete character who was known by her contemporaries as Mad Madge. She had no formal education, but a fucking zillion ideas. And she went well, on to become. Shakespeare didn't have much of a formal education either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, was actually, she was actually, she was inspired by Shakespeare quite a bit. Um, We're on a weird wavelength today, Han. Yeah, it is interesting. She's got, she actually, so she's a writer. She has a play that is sort of inspired by, um, I think, As You Like It. Oh, ooh, um, OK. But anyway, she went on to become a prolific poet, a memoirist, fiction writer, and many more, all under her own name, which was unheard of for women at the time. Did she come from aristocratic means? Yes. Oh, then yes, definitely very unheard of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and she wasn't like the best writer in the world, but that's partly because she wasn't really bothered with style. She was more interested in getting her ideas across. Like she was a philosopher, and she really she used story and memoir to talk about her ideas about the world. Um, so most of her work was written and/or conceived of through the lens of philosophy, and she had a lot of thoughts on philosophy. <laughs> Um, but the the Paris Review, I found a little snippet of um, Virginia Woolf's, uh, I think it's from, oh yeah, The Common Reader. It's from Virginia Woolf's The Common Reader, and she says, Nevertheless, though her philosophies are futile and her plays intolerable... <laughs> And her verse is mainly dull. The vast bulk of the duchess, because her, she was a duchess, is leavened by a vein of authentic fire. One cannot help following the lure of her erratic and lovable personali- personality as it meanders and twinkles through page after page. There is something noble and quixotic and high-spirited as well as crack-brained and bird-witted about her. Her simplicity is so open, her intelligence so active, her sympathy with fairies and animals so true and tender she has the freakishness of an elf the irresponsibility of some non-human creature its heartlessness and its charm so she's saying she was fay basically she's saying yes yeah, she was a fucking crackpot but she was wonderful like she was she was wackadoo but she was charming
1: i mean i i strive for that you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yes So she was born Margaret Lucas in 1623 to a wealthy Essex family. And after the outbreak of civil war in 1642, which we've talked about, which, you know, the the Reformation and blah, blah, blah. uh, The royalist Lucases joined the king's court at Oxford, where Margaret became a maid of honor to Queen Henrietta Maria, accompanying her when she fled to uh, Paris in in 1644. Oh. Yes, and she was one of she was the youngest of eight children, and her mom raised them all by herself. Like her dad actually passed away when she was really young, and her mom oh, basically was like, "My God, all right, I'll do this myself." And so Margaret had eight kids. Yeah, she had she had a very specific idea of like what women could do <laughs> because her mom had raised them all by herself, ah. and um, and she was very dependent on her brothers and sisters she like she loved them all a lot and she didn't have much of a formal education like the tutors were sort of for show more than anything else Mm -hmm. and so she didn't you know she hadn't been taught how to have like intelligent discourse with men and women of the court and that kind of thing right and so she was really um Anxious about that like it made her really nervous to be in court trying to talk to people in an intelligent way especially because yeah, yeah she was so she had so many thoughts and she didn't necessarily have the education to help her know how to form them in an intelligent way
1: she didn't have the credentials that would give her clout yes in giving
0: her thoughts right and so when she went to Paris she was away from her family for the very first time in her entire life I think uh, she was, I don't know, in her in her teens. And she notes in one of her autobiographies that while she was very confident in the company of her siblings with strangers, she became extremely bashful. Hmm. She explains that she was afraid she might speak or act inappropriately without her siblings, siblings guidance, which would go against what would be a lifelong ambition to be well received and well liked. You know, she wanted respect. She wanted people to see her and go, yes, you have great ideas and I know what you're talking about. She spoke only when absolutely necessary. And consequently, she came to be regarded as a fool by people of the court. And yeah. she was quiet because she was quiet and she only spoke when spoken to. And I guess that made her, her seem like mm. daft. No, she doesn't have anxiety. She's just dumb. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Social anxiety is real. I mean, it really is. And I think it's so interesting that it that it really had such a big impact on her that. She mentioned it in her memoirs and talked about how it formed her.
1: That's fascinating, too, because I feel like so frequently that's that's like the opposite of advice we're given. Like, don't fucking run your mouth off or you'll be known as an idiot. (laughs) Right. Stay quiet and listen. Then if you have stupid thoughts, nobody knows. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You would think that that's like the common wisdom. But apparently it worked against her. Um, But she preferred to be received as a fool rather than wanton or rude um sure yeah same but she was like it it made her really uncomfortable she she didn't want to try and be who she wasn't so she wasn't going to start speaking out even though that was apparently what people wanted of her and so she asked her mom to like basically let her come home and her mom was like nah you gotta stay you gotta stay because it would be a disgrace if you left Like, you don't want to ruin your reputation Uh by leaving the Queen's Court like that. So you got to stick around.
1: Okay, Mommy.
0: I mean, it's a good thing she did because if she hadn't, she would never have met her husband. Um, William Cavendish, the Marquis of Newcastle. And he was a royalist general, 31 years her senior, whose estates had been confiscated by Parliament. But they were in love. She fucking loved him. Like, okay. what I love about, about how she describes their marriage is that it was totally, it was just like they had such a lovely relationship. They always loved one another. They always respected one another. And he was incredibly supportive. So it's kind of, like, kind of interesting. Because you always hear about those, those marriages and it's, like, awful, you know? Especially
1: in the aristocratic classes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. But she chose to marry him. Like, they met, they fell in love, and they married. They married for love. Was he, you may not know this, but was he, had he ever been married before? Yes, he uh, had. He was he, a widower. He was a widower. He did have children. And I guess, I didn't read too much about that, but she did have a lot of conflicts with them. I think the they just didn't really like her. Yeah, they they thought They're she was weird. older than her. <laughs> well, potentially. Um, or her age. Could be. It's true. It could be. But they lived in exile, obviously, because they were royalists, um, until the Restoration, when they returned to England and William regained his estates. Mm-hmm. And then he was named the Duke of Newcastle, up, yeah. from, up from the Marquis. So that was when she became a duchess. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: That's like, it took me so long to realize that being a duke, it's like basically the highest thing you can be other than like a prince or a king.
0: Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that until the royal wedding a couple of years ago that whatever William William and Kate and he they were named Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and I was like well that's weird that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. but that's kind of the indication that you have that I read
1: so many uh, trashy romance novels as a teenager that were historical romance novels it was like
0: <laughs> when the Duke blah 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 and
1: I didn't realize that like Duke that's a big deal mm-hmm.
0: it is it you really marry is. a Duke that's huge well and I'm not I'm not saying this from any sort of knowledgeable standpoint, but I assume part of why he was given a dukedom up from up from because his marquee is because he was loyal. Yeah. He stuck around, he went he went to Paris to be with the royal family when they were chased out of England by the Puritans. You know, and that's that's to be rewarded.
1: Absolutely.
0: So she kind of made an like an advantageous call, even though she wasn't really doing it for that. She was just doing it for love and um, it worked
1: out in her favor. It did. karmically it worked out for her.
0: He was he was a good husband. Like he supported her writing. He loved that she was bashful. He helped her self publish her work and encouraged her to publish under her own name when she was like, you know, is this a good idea? He was like, yeah. He basically just thought she was really smart and really awesome. And they just got along really well. I know. It just makes me want to cry. It's so sweet. It's so unusual for stories from that era. Yeah. It's not one we usually tell when we, when we do this podcast. Not generally. <laughs> but Cavendish, she um, had the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The honor of dining with Rene Descartes. Oh, she was the first woman to attend a meeting of the Royal Society, which would not admit women as members until 1945. Holy shit. And she'd been like
1: centuries before.
0: Yeah. 1600s. Whoa. Mid 1600s. She'd been very vocal about her ideas on on philosophical and scientific theories of the day. And even though, like, they're pretty out there at this point, her thoughts were really compelling. Um, at the time and like for example in 1663 she published philosophical and physical opinions wherein she reasoned that if atoms were animated matter then they would have free will and liberty and thus would be unable to cooperate in the creation of complex organisms. The following year, I don't, I have no idea. (laughs) The following year she published another work in which she challenged the ideas expressed by contemporary natural philosophers and she had the, both books dispatched by special messenger to the most celebrated scholars of the day.
1: Well I just love how she thinks that if atoms existed they must be sentient.
0: Yeah. Like they must
1: be autonomous with brains. Like
0: here's an here's a an argument against them because if they existed this is what they would then be they like. would rebel. <laughs> well, sometimes they do, Margaret. Sometimes they do, Margaret <laughs> Oh title of this episode, I wish. Um She was the first woman to publish a collected volume of dramatic works. Her philosophical and scientific views regarding such matters as the lives of animals and the materiality of the mind challenged those of the most renowned thinkers of her day. She was really like ardently opposed to animal testing. And she thought animals had thoughts and feelings. And she was like, we should treat animals with respect.
1: That that certainly would have been a kooky idea back Mm -hmm. then. Like, (laughs) don't you know that the Lord God put animals under our dominion to control? They're here for us, Margaret. (laughs)
0: Speaking of sentient beings. I mean, I think that that kind of ties into her feeling on Adams. you know?
1: She's like, they can't be sentient because they... They can't exist because if they did, they would have a brain.
0: Yeah. No. Very 1600s of her. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically, um, she was totally, like, out there for, for people of the time. And she wore a lot of weird clothing, apparently. Like, her dress was just, like, you know, whatever that guy said was antic. antic. Like, she was also known for just, you know, wearing whatever she wanted to wear and not really caring what anyone said about it. I mean, she wore dresses. She didn't, like, wear trousers, but, you know, they were bright colors and sort of weird patterns and it was just who she was. Um, If she occasioned scandal, perhaps it was because she said what she thought, dressed as she pleased, and insisted on publishing her multifarious writings in her own name, which we've said wasn't done at the time. Um, But she had an earnest ambition for fame, not in the sense that, like, we think of fame today, obviously. Like, she didn't want to be on The Bachelor. But she wanted, to, she wanted her name to be known. I think
1: earnest <laughs> ambition says, says a lot. As yeah. opposed to, I want to be on The Bachelor just because I want my 15 minutes. That's not earnest.
0: Yeah. I mean, she was like, I want people to know my name and respect me for my, my thoughts and my writings. All right. And, I mean. I mean, we all want respect. Yeah. But she wanted to be known. You know what I mean? I get that feeling.
1: I mean, we all want to leave a legacy in some way, shape, Mm -hmm. or form, for the most part, whether or not that legacy is regarded as, like, known to the entirety of human population. Right. Uh, But, like, different people have different ideas of what it means to leave your mark on the planet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think she really wanted, like, other philosophers and scientists, especially, to feel like she was one of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Her problem was, and I think this kind of ties back to the education thing, she wasn't really great at presenting her ideas. Mm. Um, And a lot of her works end up stating, even within the same book, they end up stating totally different ideas that contradict each other. So, Mm. like, in one of her books, she basically says that women are not capable of being as smart as men are. And in the same book says that they have singular abilities that are complementary and equal to men. Huh. So it's totally contradictory. Interesting. Um, but she was, she did, I think, like, ultimately have very feminist. Well, with the whole thing of her mom raising
1: yeah. eight children on her own. She's exactly. like, Look at what
0: women can do. Yeah, she knew. And in her book, in her book, Female Orations, she wrote... Men are so unconscionable and cruel against us as they endeavor to bar us of all sorts or kinds of liberty, as not to suffer us freely to associate amongst our own sex, but would fain bury us in their houses or beds as in a grave. The truth is, we live like bats or owls, <laughs> labor like beasts, and die like worms. And She's talking about women. She's talking about like, women. And just the notion that
1: men don't want us to get together in big groups, Mm -hmm. because then we'll realize our power. Mm -hmm. We'll revolt, (laughs) or something. man, it's really shitty to be a
0: woman right now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, that what's most interesting about her is she is credited with writing the first science fiction story. So... And actually, I discovered this a while, like a long time ago when I was researching for another project. and it's just like I read the story. I read this I read this science fiction story and it's bananas. Um, the story is called The Blazing World. And is it short like a short story? It's kind of short. It's you know, it's maybe 10,000 words.
1: Oh, yeah, that's not long.
0: Yeah. Um, not really. And it's basically about a woman who is kidnapped. By by a a dastardly man who puts her on a boat and he's gonna sail across the ocean to somewhere and deliver her to somewhere else, but there's this huge storm and it carries them into like the Arctic and everyone perishes on board except for her because she was uh, innocent enough and therefore spared by the by the powers that be, whereas that they were criminals. The storm. Yeah. And she ends up sailing accidentally into a new world, this world called the Blazing World. And there people and like animal people live in harmony under this absolute monarchy and she becomes their empress. And commands them She like Yeah She gets She gets to the point It's so
1: sci-fi
0: It's so sci-fi And they have like Airships And Missiles That fall from the sky And at some point She As empress Hears that In her own world A war is beginning And so She takes her new army Of animal people Into Her previous world So that she can She knows how to get back Apparently Apparently they can get back I can't remember the details of it. But, yeah, she gets back and, like, has this new army with her, this, like, sci-fi army.
1: With a woman in charge of that With them. a
0: woman in charge. And it's, I That's mean... That's the real
1: sci-fi of the era, am I right? <laughs>
0: yeah. No, JK, we had uh, Elizabeth already. Yeah. Elizabeth I. They know. They, they know it's possible. Now, yeah, thank God. But, I mean, it's true. It was kind of, like she was using it in the same way that she used a lot of her fiction, which was to talk about her philosophical ideas and, like, this idea that we need, like, absolute monarchy is best for everyone because having one person that you answer to is less messy, you know, like, things like that. Sure, sure. So she had these ideas that she was trying to um, exemplify within this story, so it's not the cleanest story, but it is absolutely a sci-fi story it's an alternate reality in which a woman who is virtuous and the men who kidnap her die because they're not she ends up going and and ruling a new world i mean that's pretty fucking bananas 16 what was a 1666 ish i mean it predates jules verne in a huge (laughs) way i mean yeah and i i don't have any way of knowing who all was inspired by her explicitly, like Jules Verne, potentially, but, uh, you know, it's finding a new world. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of indisputable that undisputable, indisputable, indisputable, indisputable that she wrote the first,
1: I think, I'm questioning it.
0: Well, the reason that they think so is because it wasn't really done at the time. She was just kooky enough to be the person to put those ideas on the page in that way. But nobody else was really like willing to do that.
1: Well, it's like how Sister Rosetta Tharp started making music that nobody had ever heard before. And they're like, well, this is uncategorizable. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 15 years later, a bunch of men started doing it and they're like, whoa, rock and roll. Yep. And they're like, oh, yeah, but we're influenced by her. And they're like, yeah, but that's not rock and roll. Yeah. It's the same thing where it's like these men came along later and started writing sci fi. Yep presumably they have to have been influenced
0: by her in some way come on i think so i think i think they must have been and i do still think that the next person really that like came out in a big way after um after margaret was mary shelley Mm, yeah so it was still women pioneering that i mean i know i don't remember what your mary shelley was but i know like Bram Stoker was around that time, but even he came from more of a, more of a romance was, tradition. She was the 1800s, right? She was the 1800s. I just yeah. don't know when. It was you like 1860s. how quiet I said that as if that wouldn't be picked up on Mike in case <laughs> I was wrong. Is she 1800s? Yeah. Yeah. Mary Shelley was, um, I think she was like 1860s maybe? Nope. Nope. Uh,
1: she was born in 1797 and died in 1851.
0: When was Frankenstein then? Mary Shelley was a fucking goth bad bitch, and I absolutely 18, want to 18, do her.
1: 1818 Frankenstein.
0: 1818. All right. There you go. She predates uh, Dracula by quite a bit. So, yeah. Mary Shelley was kind of the next big one after Margaret. Which,
1: which was like 200 years later.
0: Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> I don't think anyone really understood. I think... I think when people read Margaret Cavendish's story, they recognized that she was trying to make a philosophical argument rather well, a than... a lot of sci-fi is that. Now we kind of, we, we definitely use it intentionally in that way, but at you the time... Use these
1: fantastical places and beings to tell human stories.
0: Yes. At the time, I think they saw it more as philosophy, less as potentially a brand new genre. You know mm, what I mean? Right. Um, Just weird offshoot. Yeah. Like a weird way to tell your philosophical beliefs. Just like another another weird book from Mad Madge. Mad Madge. You know. Um, so, as noted by many historians and biographers who have covered Margaret, this early version of science fiction criticized and explored such issues as science, gender, and power. Yep. It yep, also yep. examined the relationship between imagination versus rea- uh, imagination versus reason, and philosophy versus fiction. It had a lot of issues, obviously, like she kind of promotes colonialism and obviously I said absolute monarchy. But sure, she was a royalist. Yeah, but it's the imagination surrounding the story that survives as an example of her insanely creative mind. Um, And the fact that she was willing to like go there Mm -hmm. in her work Mm -hmm. and risk being mocked. Um, So, yeah, she created the first science fiction story knowing others would probably shit on her for it. but she Can I wanted you on that <laughs> you may you may um so yeah margaret cavendish um went on to write a fuck ton i didn't i don't actually remember how many books she wrote and i don't think i put it in here but she wrote a lot she wrote um i think a, at least in the double digits um that's a lot That's really prolific. Books. yeah she was very prolific And she died suddenly on the 15th of December in 1673. I don't know what from. She was buried in Westminster Abbey. Interesting. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who else was buried at Westminster? A lot of people. Shakespeare. Wasn't Afro-Ben? Yes. There you go. Um, I'm just drawing parallels between the two because I can. Um, And uh, her husband was not well enough to attend her funeral, her 30-something-year
1: senior husband
0: outlived her? Holy shit. Yeah. Like he was sick and couldn't. He was sick and couldn't go, and two years later, he was interred with her in 1676. Yeah. How did she die before him? I don't know. She died suddenly, so I think maybe it must have been something that they weren't anticipating. Heart I attack mean, or something? Yeah. Um. This is so How sweet. How old was she? Uh, let's see. She died in 1673. She was born. Da, 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 1623. Okay, so she's 50. 50. Um, he was 80? Mm hmm. Oh, he was old as shit. And he for was old. the 1600s. But listen to this. Before he died, he collected all the letters and poems that she wrote to celebrate her and arranged to have them publish as letters and poems in honor of the incomparable princess, Margaret, Duchess of Newcastle. He loved her so much! In his 1957 biography of Cavendish, Douglas Grant quotes the epitaph that William Cavendish wrote to be engraved on the tomb in which he was soon to join his wife. Here lies the loyal duke of Newcastle and his duchess, the second wife, his second wife, by whom he had no issue. <laughs> uh, her name was Margaret Lucas, youngest uh, youngest sister to the Lord Lucas of Colchester? Colster? I don't know. Those Brits and their weird Chester names. Mm-hmm. A noble family for all the brothers were valiant and all the sisters virtuous. This duchess was a wise, witty, and learned lady with her many books, Which her many books do well testify. She was a most virtuous and loving and careful wife, and was with her Lord. (laughs) Yeah. And was with her Lord all the time of his banishment and miseries. uh, And when he came home, never parted from him in his solitary retirements. Which I just thought was like. I don't know. Kind of a sweet. That's so cute. It's just a sweet thing. I have he no just, issues with this wife. <laughs> I have no issues with her. She stood by me when I was banished from England and, you know. And sad about it. And, yeah, she was with me that whole time, and I loved her very much throughout. But, um, yeah, she just. And so they had no kids together. No. Huh? Nope. Um, yeah, that's it. That's Margaret Cavendish, D- Duchess of Newcastle, and writer of the first science fiction story. The end.
1: That was so cool. The end. I know. I think. I feel like I would have hung out with her. Like I would have been like, all right,
0: all right, Maggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She seems like she was a she fucking said character. Kooky,
1: but like, I would, I would love to just go drink wine with this woman.
0: Yep. Oh yeah, she and you're would like have, you, Adams totally. They don't exist. She would have probably exactly like gone into some weird and some weird tangent about. I would have been with her something. on the
1: animal thing.
0: I know you guys could have talked about veganism. You could have. I would have been you like, could talk. You know you have to eat meat, right? <gasps> I mean, um, I forgot to curate my on this day in histories, so you'll have to just bear with me as I uh, go through them. I'm sorry. Fine. So it is. August 14th. How? How?
1: How? Feel, this year has just flown by. Yeah, I do
0: not understand, to be perfectly honest. It's um, a little scary. Yeah. But I think you'll appreciate this one. In 1040, King Duncan I of Scotland is killed in battle against his first cousin and rival, Macbeth. The latter does not succeed him as king. And he's not murdered in his sleep, as in Shakespeare's play. But no, he definitely
1: does not become king. And you're right. I do appreciate the fuck out of that.
0: I thought so. I thought so. Oh, this one's interesting. 1281, during Kublai Khan's second invasion of Japan, his invading Chinese fleet of 3,500 vessels disappears in a typhoon. Yikes. That's kind of, yeah. That's That's dark. That's fucking dark. That's gruesome. How many ships? 3,500
1: ships. Uh, bye. Mother Nature says die.
0: <laughs> Mother Nature's, yeah, done with you. Oh, this I mean, this is Shakespeare-ish Again? Ish related, only because, only if you know of the scandal or the potential scandal, I don't know. Just say it. 1590, publication of Christopher Marlowe's play, Tamburlaine the Great, is recorded by Stationer's Company of London. Christopher Marlowe. Every half, I don't know. A bunch of people say that he wrote Shakespeare's plays.
1: Yeah, a bunch of misinformed people. <laughs> yeah. No. What's What's funny? Because we were talking about this, the uh, uh, lack of education. That was the fucking classist bullshit that people were like, Shakespeare wrote so eloquently, but wasn't formally educated. There's no, <laughs> no way the son of a farmer could be this smart.
0: Oh my god! It's some Duh. bullshit. That's like the whole- <sighs> nineteen oh eight, the first beauty contest is held in Folkestone, England. Of course the Jesus British invented that bullshit. Oh my god. Yes, of course, of course they did. In nineteen twenty five the Mount Rushmore monument is proposed. Cool. Yeah. That's problematic. I've been there. Me too. 1966, the first U.S. lunar orbiter begins orbiting the moon. Ooh. 1966. Three years before we landed on the moon. 1967, Vidal Sassoon cuts actress Mia Farrow's hair into the famous pixie cut. Rosemary's costing, baby. Uh-huh. Costing $5,000. Wait. What? In reality, it was just a publicity stunt, and Pharaoh had previously cut her own hair. What? Apparently, but they like wanted to make this into a big publicity thing. I cut thing. her hair
1: for five thousand dollars. Yeah, apparently.
0: Yikes! Wow, pixie cuts worth five thousand dollars? I don't think so. Why did it? Why did we call it a pixie cut? Why can't it just be a fucking haircut? Like men get haircuts. Because but we it get looks pixie, like cuts. A pixie You look like a pixie. Thank you. You're welcome. This is weird. They have one listed on here from 2126. What? The comet Swift Tuttle approaches close to Earth. Well,
1: I guess it will. In
0: 2126, the comet Swift Tuttle will approach close to Earth. So I guess that's where I'm ending because that's like way in the future.
1: We'll
0: be long dead. <laughs> we'll be long dead. And this comet will come close to us if we aren't already all extinct by that time.
1: You mean as a species?
0: As a species. You know, if like if an asteroid doesn't hit us or if we don't...
1: If... Oh, we're going we're gonna to be the makers of our own fall. Yeah, yeah. The design.
0: Ooh, yeah, you better tell me what you think of um, Oryx and Crake when you're done. We'll have to like sit down and chat about it. Your book? Mm-hmm. No, Margaret Atwood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know that's the premise is we're the designers of our own apocalypse. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good phrase right there. Someone needs
1: architects of our own apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Make it a little more uh, alliterative or whatever the vowel. I like
0: it. I like it. I like it a lot. So that's it. That's on this day in history. Thanks. Yeah. What are you excited about?
1: Well, I'm excited that <laughs> I got to spend time with my family in Yellowstone. Oh yeah. I, I got
0: to see Old Faithful. How was that? Is it like as exciting as everyone it's makes it cool. out to be? It's pretty cool.
1: I don't know. Like geothermal activity is pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's just, fair. Just to think about like something that it, it's not man-made. Like we've all seen fountains. We know what water spouts shooting up high into the air
0: look like. Yeah.
1: But seeing it. In nature, knowing that it's the Earth making it happen, not human technology, is pretty cool to think about.
0: Yeah. I mean, isn't it kind of like that there's just all this lava sort of really close to...
1: Yeah, apparently there's a super volcano under there.
0: And it's just heating everything up. And that's why there's those geysers?
1: Uh-huh. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And Yellowstone has, like, more than half or just about half of the whole planet's geysers. Whoa! Which is wild. Yeah. Um, And I got to see a bison. Oh, bison. Just kind of laying down. And I learned that there were some people who, uh, like, people are fucking dumb because they went up and they were, like, petting it. and try, Like, people trying to take selfies. It's a fucking wild animal. And it, like, uh, charged uh, and hit a nine-year-old girl. Oh, God. Yeah, and it was, like, these Ooh. parents who started running when it started charging and they completely left their, their child. She's fine, by the way. She was in the hospital, but it's okay.
0: Good, good. But they oh were trying God. to fucking take a selfie with this bison. Like, leave it alone. God damn it. Americans, get your shit together. But yeah, no, it
1: was cool. And I got to see a bunch of the, like, the little little baby geysers. And it smelled like sulfur. And I thought oh, yeah. that literally people, when, when Westerners must have first come across that, they probably thought it was close to hell. Because it smelled like sulfur and it was boiling water. It was hot. It was unpredictable, except for Old Faithful, which is pretty predictable. Although God. apparently, um, I wonder Old Faithful's um, like regularity has gotten bigger. Like it used to um, erupt much more frequently than it does now. But it's about like every hour oh. and a half. I got to see it go off like that's a, a lot. Yeah, not realize used to go off more.
0: Jeez. Yeah. So it's just it literally is just like the water's under the surface and then boiling and boiling it and boiling do, until it, it has
1: to do with like the pressure. Like there's like a, a couple ways it goes down and God, then the that's pressure crazy. builds and then it just has to release. How
0: frequently would you
1: say an hour? An hour and a half. Every hour and a half. That's crazy. Ish,
0: give or take. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. It and it was fun to be with my whole family, and that's like a really rare event. Yeah, I mean, obviously not whole whole family, but like my whole immediate family.
0: Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks.
1: I know. It took, I was like, what am I excited about? It's it's not an anticipation thing. It's something that I'm still enjoying thinking about.
0: Yeah, I think so, that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, should we call it uh, call it a day? Let's call it a week. Let's call it a week. All right. Until next time. Uh, peace out, witches. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you
1: so much for listening. We really appreciate it.
0: Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson.
1: And we're produced by Benjamin Garst.
0: Um, You can find us on iTunes. Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere
1: you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us.
0: We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com (laughs) slash (laughs) podcast. Become a patron and help us... You know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content
1: creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it
0: you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe all the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us Yeah, word of mouth, also good. Yeah. (laughs) Our
1: website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron.
0: Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon
1: Moon Bounce. Bounce.